0: American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. In this two-part episode, Dr. Robin McCutcheon, Associate Economics Professor at Marshall University, returns, and we discuss the jab, the social impact, the university policies, conflict within faculties regarding a number of different issues, and then in part two, we will continue the discussion and discuss a little regarding the economy, the fake news, a little more jab information, and the silver linings that exist. So with that said, here's part one, and be sure and tune into part two when you get a chance.
1: In, in my family, my, my my daughter and son-in-law have both have, had it. My sister and all her family have had it. The only one who didn't take it was my son, who, when he asked me last year, you know, are you going to get this jab? I said, I'm not taking poison. That's stupid. It's an experiment. Why would I do that? He goes, oh, so he never did it either. <laughs> And then he, he went to, I said, have you seen the ingredients? He goes, no. I said, well, go find them. So he did. He was like, that's disgusting.
0: Let me ask you about that then. I mean, how do, you, how do the two of you communicate given the fact that you're both unjabbed? I have, I have been
1: blessed with, um, I, I was blessed with a father and uh, a family from my dad's side that talked about anything. I don't think there was anything not talked about, and so I always felt like I could talk about anything with my own dad, and that's how I raised my kids. We, I just talked about anything they wanted to talk about, and so now that they're all grown up, um, that's still the case. Uh, my my daughter kind of keeps her own counsel on raising children, and that's her prerogative, but. Um, yeah, so I, you know, if my son asked me a question like the one off, kind of off the cuff, way back in January, December, whenever the the jabs came out, and he says, what, "What do you think about this?" I said, "It's a big experiment." He said, "Are you going to take it?" I said, "Fuck no." I'm yeah. Not, not taking an experiment. This is this. I don't know what's in these. And and so he goes, "Oh," and I and I didn't tell him not to take it. I just said, "I'm not doing it." I think it's stupid to take an experimental drug,
0: yeah, so, I, I, I think the other reason I asked too is is because the you know the the familial dividing lines that that take place where you have certain certain individuals talking with their parents and then certain individuals not talking with their parents. And then again, it it makes me wonder again how how the jabbed talk about the unjabbed, and then, of course, you know, do you and your son, for example, talk about your jab family members and, 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 you know, like what kinds of things are brought up? Because again, that's something that's of course happening in my family and it's got to be happening in everybody's family. Right. Well, by the time we got to, we went down to visit him in May
1: and, uh, and by then, um, Tim's mom, I think Tim's mom got her first jab in like mid-January, and her second jab, whatever the prescribed days later was, 21 or 28, whatever it was, and within a month, she was diagnosed with aggressive four-stage, stage stage four breast cancer, within a month after the second jab. How
0: is uh, is she, by the way? Well, um, they they tried some kind of, uh, chemo slash,
1: you, you know, how, uh, um, the cancer therapies go and it put her in the hospital with inflamed intestines which now makes sense to me since I've seen that video um, you know if your weakness is in your intestines that's, that's what's going to give out first so they, they um, took her off whatever round of chemo um, poison they were putting her on and the statement was from one of Tim's sisters was well you know, we're just, I guess we're just looking at palliative, palliative care, you know, kind of making her comfortable. And I thought, Jesus Christ, that's a death sentence. So, um, and, and truthfully, we don't talk a whole lot with them. Ever since one of the sisters uh, emailed Tim and said, you have to go get jabbed, and we wrote back a, an email Something along the lines of, well, we've talked with our physician and since we already had COVID, you know, she's not, she's recommending we don't get the jab because we've already got antibodies. And the the reply back from the sister was, well, you know, keep talking with your doctor and yeah, do your research and then get jabbed. And we just ignored it. Wow. So there's, so between Tim and his family, there's not a lot of talk going on, but they are, um, the, the two sisters that he has. One of which is a, a registered nurse. Um, they're they're all—they've all drank the full gallon of Kool-Aid, and when I—I couldn't—I I couldn't actually talk with them very much on the phone and be civil because I thought you—you just—you just don't know that you've encouraged your mom to just—you know, she's a walking dead woman at this point. They all are. They just don't know it. Yeah, so we went to visit our son, but long before we got there in May, I had already told him the bad news about Tim's mom. I mean, I, I've both of my parents have passed on way before this, so you know, Tim's parents are the only, um, basically, the only in laws I have left. They're the only parents that I have left, and you know, I can, I can see what's coming. It's always inevitable, right? It's just, when does it happen? And so, I I told my son, I said, you know, there's no reason, if you've already had a flu, you've probably, you've got the antibodies for this thing. Just, you know, go on living. Take your take your mask off. He wasn't wearing it by then anyway, because when we were there a year ago, we weren't wearing masks. He says, how come you're not wearing masks? I said, are you kidding? You, you want me to breathe in all those toxins I just breathed out? No thanks, that's stupid. So, Apparently my son, who is a lot smarter than all the rest of my family because he's listening. And I and I said, you know, wear it or don't wear it but, you know, when you come down with bacterial pneumonia, don't blame me. You're the one who gave it to yourself. Yeah. So I I I, I, I don't know how to talk with people who are who have so who have drank a gallon of the Kool Aid. Um I, I really I really don't know. Um I, we've had a long conversation with our, our daughter and son-in-law who came over on 4th of July on um, that weekend, and, um, and the first words she said when she got out of the car is, I just, I have to ask if either one of, or both of you have gotten the vaccination. I said, no. She goes, well, that's too bad because then there won't be any hugs with Victor, our grandson. I said, I don't care. I got you standing in the driveway and I get to see him. So I'll take whatever I can get. But by the end of the day, we were all hugging and you know, that, that whole thing, you can't hug him because you haven't had the jab kind of went out the window after a long discussion of how both Tim and I were pretty sure we had COVID because I brought it home for my students and my students brought it direct from China. So, you know, we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, if, if, and I told Katie, I said, you, Probably don't remember because you were too little, but when you when your brother brought home chicken pox from school and I got it, um, I don't have to go get a chicken pox vaccine because I've already had chicken pox, right? And it's not like we we go once a year to test it to get tested to make sure we still have chicken pox immunity. <laughs> some of this stuff is just it's inane, it's so insane.
0: Yeah, it's, so, it, it, it's certainly next level, and they even even connecting the most simple of dots is not happening. Because, um, again, it, it tricks so many people into thinking that all they had to do was take two jabs to not wear a mask, and yet they're actually saying this in front of someone that they know or are even related to, and that person has never even worn a mask. Right. And they, yeah. th- they can't um, make that connection.
1: Right. I, I, I don't know. I think what we're observing is a level of psychosis and brainwashing the likes of which we have never seen. We've, we've, because these people are so asleep. They're, they're, they're not using two brain cells. They're not using any logic at all. They're not using any of their reasoning faculties. They're just sucking it down hook, line, and sinker. So, but I think that, uh, I think there are some things that, that we can do. Like, for instance, I'm not wearing a mask at school and we have a mask mandate. They have, um, they tried to pass a vaccine mandate through the uh, faculty senate and, um, and I wrote an email, I don't know, uh, maybe five or six days, three or four days before the faculty senate meeting, I wrote an email <clears throat> explaining how a vaccine mandate was, uh, in vi- stood in violation of a number of U.S. laws, and I included in the email trail the president, the provost, and the university counsel, university lawyer, and uh, I haven't heard a word about Faculty Senate passing a vaccine mandate. Something happened, or it didn't happen.
0: You, you know, that's working. I mean, that approach seems to be working with a, with a lot of institutions and even workplaces. I just saw, for example, the other day, and again, it's not just the, the noncompliance, but I mean, the legal aspect. And like you right. said, simply sending an email saying, okay, you need to read this because you're officially on legal notice. And then bang, bang, right. bang, you just hit them with these bullet points and these facts and the law. And then there you go.
1: Right. Yeah, so I, I think just walking around without a mask is making people curious. I've, I've told my students from day one, I'm, I, I, I decline to wear a mask. It inhibits my breathing. It actually is dangerous to my health. You do what you want, but I decline to participate in such foolishness. And it's a violation of my rights. I mean, people don't know what their rights are. So you know how easy it is—is is it to take away someone's rights or have them just offer them over without a fight if they don't know what rights they're surrendering? So I think I think that um, I think that just continuing to do to peacefully decline to participate—I'm not calling it disobedience because those those aren't mandates are not laws. If if the university is passing a policy that encourages discrimination that's a violation of the law. I don't I think it's I think it it's wrong to say I'm disobeying when in fact what you are doing is you are you are practicing informed refusal or informed declination. I decline to participate. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah.
1: Because they use, they use words against us. If I say to the university, I refuse to comply, then I'm being insubordinate. If I say, I decline to participate, then that's not insubordination. That's informed refusal. Informed, it can't even use the word refusal. It's informed declination. I've, I've, you, you asked what's going on at Marshall University. And I've had a number of a number of run-ins. This is the first semester I've had so many run-ins with students running, running to the provost and the president to complain about how I'm presenting
0: uh, current information inside of my economics lecture. Yeah, do tell.
1: Like you know, yeah. So you know, how much money is Pfizer making off these jabs? And I make the students go look it up. Oh, they made they made thirty-two billion. Wow. But you're still wearing masks, and you got you got your jabs, and you're still wearing masks, so they lied to you, because they said if you get the jabs, you don't have to wear the mask, and now you're, they're making you mask up.
0: You should have them go look up who owns the number one blood clotting drug. <laughs> well,
1: well, we'll get there, right?
0: Because, <laughs> or an- or anti-blood you know, clotting, I should say, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's Pfizer. <laughs> um, yeah. So so, what I'm doing is is I've set up inside of my blackboard, I've set up a separate folder. I call it the State Science Institute Research Readings, which is kind of a poke in the eye at Atlas Shrug. And uh, and I put in there the research that I've done on, on the jabs and uh, the various... Uh, uh, policies, suggestions coming out of the CDC, the FDA, the NIH. I mean, for instance, there's a, I, I posted a, um, a document that was a peer-reviewed article, peer-reviewed medical article put out by the NIAID and NIH in 2005, wherein Fauci said, we know hydroxychloroquine is um, a good therapeutic for sars cov Oh, that's interesting, because not 14 years later, he turned right around and said, oh, we can't use that. It's not approved. It's not a vaccine. Well, in fact, a therapeutic is a vaccine. My strategy is just to post, to keep posting this research, whatever I find, like I found an amicus curie brief um, just the other day by a law firm, and they're... they're um, they're asking Amy Coney Barrett on SCOTUS to to look at it, and, and inside of this amicus curia brief, they lay out they lay out the argument against vaccinations and vaccine uh, vaccine uh, mask mandates. And and that, not only that, did they provide all of the research that backs up how the vaccines are still emergency use authorization, even though there was that fancy dancy. You know, sleight of hand, the FDA tried to pull in August about um, approving a drug that is the exact same ingredients as the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine called Comirnaty, which isn't being produced in the United States. Because if it was, they would have to put out all the warning labels and it causes this and perhaps could cause that. So they're not even—it's not even under production—not until 2024. And the sleight of hand was, but we're still extending the EUA on the Pfizer BioNTech vaccines. So you know, um, it's this kind of sleight of hand and hoodwinking that the FDA and the CDC and the NIH have been pulling, at least as long as you know this whole pandemic has been has been going on. So I just keep posting my I just keep posting my research and and funny students go read that and I had one student complain to the president that I was posting mis- posting misinformation and I thought hmm that's interesting these are documents straight out of the NIH the FDA the CDC NIAID you know that's interesting if it's misinformation how does he know
0: and just that phrase i mean just that saying misinformation gives that person away it's right. like it's like when somebody right. uses the word debunked when someone says those words you know that they haven't looked anything up or looked into anything they're just relying on you know the standard dismissive language so that they themselves feel more comfortable instead of actually coming face to face with reality right well, you can only ignore reality so long,
1: right? The actions and choices have consequences and consequences are real. So I'm, I'm afraid that some of these people who have gone off and had the experimental vaccine will discover that their actions really do have consequences, at least the people who didn't get the saline. You know, it's a, it's an awfully harsh lesson. The people who see that will begin to wake up. And, and people are beginning to wake up already. We've got whistleblowers coming out of hospitals. We've got whistleblowers coming out of um, doctors. Dr. Malone and 3,000 other doctors have signed a a document basically demanding that these uh, vaccines be halted. Reiner Fulmich out in Germany, a, a lawyer from the uh, European Union out there, He's he's taking people to court and and he will be hauling them up in front of the Hague. So, you know, we're we're looking at a, a Nuremberg two situation <clears throat> who's been actively, willfully, volitionally participating in these are they're gonna get hammered.
0: let, let me ask you this be. from a from a student from a student standpoint or I, I suppose a, a, a teacher slash professor standpoint. because um, I've met some of these individuals and it's absolutely heartbreaking to, to, to listen, to listen to, to what they have to say, but sort of the realization that they've come to. Have have any of your students who have been jabbed come to you with quote unquote vaccine regret? No, I, I have not asked the, I have not asked students if they've been jabbed or not. i figure it's none of my business just like it's really none of their business to ask me right but I mean just Um, in in like the information sharing that you've done and they've thought to themselves damn I've been jabbed um you know and and then they end up learning more I mean no one no one has just come to you and said hey look you know a lot about this you know I I took this I'm starting to regret taking this you know is there anything I can do
1: well I've had one student come to me and tell me that um he's been sharing the information I've posted in this folder with his own family, some of who have been jabbed, who are now kind of looking at this going, oh crap, what have we done? I had another student that, um, I, I just sort of, I went through all of the the facts and information about what's in the jabs. I even had, uh, uh, I even had lists of the jab ingredients and I said, you know, this, this SM102, this is like, embalming fluid and and after I got all done telling him about all of the nasty stuff inside of these jabs he he looked at me and his face was pale and 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 I, I looked at him and I said you okay and he goes I took the jab See. and I said oh oh well forget about everything I just said just you know he goes no he says it's, it's better to know but I wish I'd known this before I got it and I said well when you got the jab were you informed about any of this the the possible potential side effects he goes no so were you were you given any information he said no and I said so whoever gave you the jab violated the Nuremberg Code section one paragraph one the first sentence which is the the there must be total informed consent. It's absolutely required. So all of these places that are still giving out jabs, and I and I, I did ask my students on day one, I said, now I don't want to know who did it, but were you given any information about how masks affect your health when you wear them for a long time? No, they shook their heads no. I said, were you given any information about the jabs? no. I said, right there, right there, the, the whoever encouraged you and whoever gave you the jab and these, these uh, return to school papers that you've signed, mandating that you have, that you wear masks and such, they're, they're already violating your rights. The, um, you know, the requirement to wear a mask, a mask is emergency use authorization only, all of them, except for the form-fitting, tight-fitting N95 masks, which, you know, nobody's wearing those, that, that those are, <laughs> surgeons use that to keep their stuff out of the patient, <laughs> but they don't wear the mask all day long, they only wear it while they're in surgery. So, you know, it, it, the, the amount of, um, the amount of lying that's going on is just over the top. And and some of these people don't realize that they're perpetuating a lie. You know, they're just totally um, ignorant of of what's going on. But there are some people who know that what they're doing is wrong. I mean, I've seen at least a half a dozen videos of uh, men or women at school board meetings saying, you are violating this law, and you're violating that law, and you're violating the Nuremberg Code, and you're getting paid for all of this. This is how much money your school got, or your school, uh, community school, got from the federal government, either through the CARES Act or, or one of the other, you know, massive COVID bailouts. You're using this to promote this lie. The, the truth the truth is, winkling itself out, in, so it's in front of people's eyes. Some, most people, I think, are going to wake up to it, and they're going to they're going to have a day of reckoning where either their health is um, permanently impacted, so they can't not face reality, or they're going to see it happen in their family, like like we've seen happen in our families you know, and if it really is true that on the first jab it destroys half your immune system, your white blood cell producing uh, organs in your body. if it really is true that it it destroys half of that on the first jab and another twenty five percent on the second jab, then your immune system is down to twenty five percent and on and on the third jab they introduce HIV just to kill you off even faster. The, the amount of die-off that we're going to see
0: is just going to be heartbreaking. I want to I back up real quick just to one particular thing that you mentioned. When, when you were looking at your students and you were asking them about, did they know anything about the harmful effects of the masks and the jabs, and they were shaking their heads no, the next, and, and of course, we assume that they're wearing masks and we assume that the majority are jabbed. You know, the the one step that's just missing is just thinking because you want to look at them and you, you want to say, did you think about looking that up? Did you think about how this might not be a good thing? Did you think about, um, you know, finding an alternative voice or talking to other people? I mean, it's just that individual It's, it's, it's the complete absence of any individualized thought that is, that is the overwhelming problem. But then again, it's the education system that has done that to countless people, including instructors and teachers and what have you for a very long time. So I'm not, I'm not surprised by it, but I don't know. You want to grab them by the lapel sometimes and just say, did you even just think before you plunged a needle into your arm?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, we have, we have an education system that has so dumbed down several generations of people that um, there's no thinking going on, which is and, – and I don't I – still to this day, I can't tell you why I did it. But on, on day one, I, I plunged into a tirade about the masks and how they're harmful to your health, about the jabs and how they're experiments only. And the uh, quarantining and isolation and how that violates your Fourteenth Amendment of you know you can't be illegally imprisoned and and so how shocked should I be that some student runs to the to the president and says you got to shut this woman up um, which of course I can't do right because I'm contracted I'm employed by contract under under an academic freedom policy passed by the state of West Virginia. And also I sued the university in 2018 for one of my, um, one of, an administrator violating my academic freedom and they settled with me. It's okay, okay, we'll, we'll support your academic freedom. So anything that I say in class that I wind into an economic um, outcome of policy it's fair game, and I just plunged right into it on day one. And well, what I've noticed is, and I have never weared i I've never worn a mask on campus or in my classes. And what I've noticed is, over the last four or five weeks, there's a lot more students
0: not wearing masks. Good. I was going to ask you yeah. that. I was going to ask. That's great. Yeah. And, well, not not to mention the other thing too, from the from the you know the pseudo discipline of what the students are trying to do to you, or what some of them were trying to do to you from a behavioral standpoint even that behavior is part of the dumbing down of the american mind and the brainwashing of the young american mind to actually think to themselves wait a minute this person just said something i disagree with i'm going to go complain to their right. bo- to their boss quote unquote i mean that right that's uh that's outrageous, but it, it's it's clearly taken 20-plus years at least to get people to the point where they actually think that's fine. Right. Both adults and yeah. students alike, which is really horrible.
1: Right. So, yeah, so on that first day after my first class, it only took 40 minutes for an associate dean to show up at my, my office door. And she told me that a student from my class talked with the president and and just um, uh, told him that I that I went off on a tirade about masks and the COVID policy and so forth. And so the president pulled in the provost and said, um, "I thought you told me that McCutcheon wasn't going to do anything for two weeks." And so the provost called up the dean, and the dean looked around the dean suite and. And it took a straw poll for someone brave enough to come up and confront me about this. Now, none of them had the balls to do it. So they sent us this poor associate dean whose physical body is rather frail, but she's a gentle woman. And she came to my office to tell me that I had kicked the beehive over. And I said, good, that's what I intended to do. And she said, well, you know, we just really want you to stop talking. I said, you mean you want me to self-censor? Myself, that's still censorship. We have academic freedom here. I can talk about anything I want to in class as I'm winding it into economics, which is exactly what I did. And and she said, "Well, you know, we just we we just having a really tough time with this." And I said, "I don't care. I think you guys are on the wrong path. I think you've taken I think you've taken the advice of people on your COVID task committee who are not doctors." They are not board certified physicians, and they are making um, medical recommendations that they have no license to recommend. So, after my so that was day one. it was a Tuesday, so I didn't go into I didn't go into school because I don't have class. But the third day, I got a visit by the chair of the department with the same issue. And when I I I repeated, I have academic freedom. And he says, well, he says, well, you know, what am I supposed to tell the dean, the provost, and the president? I said, you tell him that I said to butt out. Or I'll go tell him.' I'm happy to go tell him. He goes, no, no, that, that won't be helpful. And I said, well, you tell him I said stay out. Then... The next week, I had another complaint, and the the chair came back to my office, and he said, well, the the provost got another complaint, and he's thinking that what he needs to do is um, sit down and coach you. I said, coach me. Oh, coach me. Like, tell me what to say and tell me what to do in my class. That really would be interesting. I would have to record that meeting because that would be an instant foot over the line of my settlement. When he came back the fourth time to my office to complain, I handed him a copy of my contract with the university with the the paragraph circled the um, criteria under which I was hired and employed, which is Title 133 from the um, Higher Education Policy Commission of West Virginia, academic freedom. And, and he says, well, I, I don't really... I, you know, I don't really pay that much attention to policy. And I said, I know, I can see that. <laughs> but I do.
0: No kidding.
1: I, I do. And I'm telling you right now that if you pursue this, it's beginning to feel a lot like harassment. If you pursue this, every time you guys show up, I write it down and I send myself an email of the things that we've talked about. So I'm making a paper trail. And I'm sending it to myself to record what you guys are saying to me. So that afternoon, he said, well, now we've had an official complaint. I said, okay, what's an official complaint? He goes, well, one of the students actually used the web link on Marshall's website to officially complain about you. I said, well, I'll tell you what, you just make a copy of that complaint and file it in my personnel file right next to my settlement. And I'll just keep track of how many people, just keep track of how many people complain and that's how I will be able to tell I'm being effective. And I said, because, you know, do do you know which class the student is in? Well, no. Do you know what the student was complaining about? Well, no. Well, you want me to address something that you know nothing about? That's stupid. Either send me the complaint that the student made and I will address it or tell everybody up the line that they can just, I didn't have very many kind words at that point, just tell them to butt out. So they sent me the student's complaint, and the first sentence from in my response to that was, professors at Marshall University are employed and contracted under Title 133 um, of the Higher Education Policy Commission Series 9 Academic freedom. And I and I stated the, the I I included the entire paragraph right off my contract. I haven't heard a word from them. Not a peep. Nobody's come back to my office.
0: And there no you go. One. And they don't read their contracts, so you're good you're good as gold.
1: That's right. So when I sent the email, um, See, today's Tuesday, so I sent the email a week ago, Sunday, where I included the president, the provost, the deans, and the lawyer, including all of my representatives for our college on faculty senate, and including the faculty senate president, and I sent them this email saying, you can't mandate these vaccines. You're you're violating... (laughs) <laughs> you you're, not only are you violating the university policy, and I quoted the policy in the email, but you're violating U.S. law, and you're violating the Nuremberg Code, because you're not giving anybody any information. So, you know, I'm I'm done asking nicely. Now I'm demanding, don't go this way. And as far as I know, they haven't. That just disappeared, kind of like a fog in the morning when the sun hits it.
0: Here at Miami University, they've got the, the, uh, a jab bus, apparently at least one bus that just kind of moseys around town and parks itself on campus and opens up its windows and just jabs whoever wants to get a jab. Um, given the fact that Marshall University is receiving $27.8 million uh, to basically implement all of this nonsense, is there a jab bus making its way around uh, the campus there?
1: I haven't seen a jab bus, but there is a, a uh, sign, one of those highway signs that has messages on it that says free COVID-19 vaccines at this address, and it's, you know, down the street a little ways. Okay. So I haven't seen a jab bus, um, but they're definitely trying to drum up business. Now, the other thing that, that Marshall has done is they've, they've taken, I'm sure they've taken a, quite a chunk of nice money to build their own COVID-19 vaccine dashboard right on Marshall's website. Just go to marshall.edu and type in the search bar COVID. And the first or second link that pops up is this dashboard. Now, I was told by the provost personally before school started that they just wanted two weeks to get the percentage of students up over 70% and they would stop all this nonsense well, we're, we're way past two weeks, and we're way past 70%, and the nonsense is still going.
0: The last time we talked, that roughly 80% of the staff is jabbed, correct?
1: It's, it's now at 86%. So let's pretend for a moment that half of the people who have been jabbed get the nasty stuff, either the, the middling really the the middling stuff or the really really nasty stuff let's let's pretend just for a moment that the people who got the saline is half of the population and everybody else got the poison and if this stuff really does really is killing off immune systems then let's see and it's killing off immune systems pretty quickly so by the time we get to what would be our traditional cold and flu season actually probably hit when allergies hit right because your body won't be able to combat even that so we should be seeing a bloom in cases of I I can't even call it COVID because the PCR test is a fake right right the PCR test can't determine between COVID SARS-CoV-2 and any other influenza so the, the PCR test is a fake but but let's say that half the population that had the jabs got the bad stuff, and half of those people get really sick. Well, that's a quarter of the population of of um, professors who are now not going to be able to teach. Who's going to teach those classes? And that was one of the things that I told the provost. I pulled him aside. But we had a we had a faculty day, and I pulled him aside. And and I I said, you've got to stop this. You've got to stop this. Just make it stop because this is not good. And I said, look around. You see all these faculty here from the College of Business. If 80% of them have taken this jab, that means that it is possible. If they all got the poison, that by the time we get to January, half of these people could be dead. And he says, well, you know, they're encouraging us to get the booster shot. And I looked at him, and i this is the only time I've asked somebody. I said, did you get the jab? He goes, yeah, I got both of them. He said, and now they're encouraging me to get a third one. And I said, dear God in heaven, please don't do it. He goes, well, you know, there's a lot of pressure.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: And I I said, Avi, we're talking about your life, your life, not your career, your life. Did he not even hear the first so,
0: the first sentence out of your mouth, which is half of these people could be dead?
1: I, I looked at him and I, and I shook my head and I said, well, better get my Kleenex box because probably going to be going to a lot of funerals. He is from somewhere in India, so he's naturally dark-complected. His face got pale when I said that. I said, look around because half of these people could be dead by January. Dead. Not just not teaching, gone. that this is serious. You have to make this stop, And he says, well, well, look, I you know we just need two weeks, and I said, yeah, I've heard that crap before. I heard two weeks to flatten a curve. We're eighteen months into this nonsense. You have to make it stop. You have to know. You have to know what your rights are so that you can know when someone's trying to take them from you. Now, it's pretty obvious that somebody shows up at my front door with a gun that they're going to take my rights. It's not so obvious when students are required to sign a return-to-school policy that demands that they wear a mask every time they're out of their, their, their dorm room. It, it, that's not so, especially if they don't know. So you have to know what policy is. These laws are here for us to lean on to make the to make the scumbag politicians and administrators who aren't going to uphold them to hold their feet to the fire. And apparently that's my job on campus now because no, it doesn't seem like anybody else is speaking up. In fact, I got a whole bunch of people from the College of Business who signed on to a petition to demand that the university, demand that everybody get the jab. The person who sent out that petition, I sent them back a hotly worded email and I never heard back from them. So there's, as far as I know, there's nobody on campus but me saying, you got to stop. You have to stop this crap. You have to... You have to start thinking. You know, we, we raise our kids saying, don't take drugs don't take drugs from people you don't know. And now we're telling everyone, take these experimental drugs from people you don't know. You know, the, the, the Vaxmobile the, at Whole Foods. You don't know these people. You don't know what's in this drug. Use two brain cells and figure it out. Just two brain cells. That'll work.
0: Yeah, but you can get free chicken McNuggets, Robin, and
1: you know. That's right. You can get free chicken McNuggets. Um, <laughs> and and the, the yes. when when um, the state of West Virginia and the state of Ohio started doing that million lottery. Oh yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God! So you know, this is this, the clear violation of the Nuremberg Code. You're not supposed to threaten people, nor are you supposed to reward people. You are to to leave the decision up to the person on whom the experiment is going to be implemented. And if and if a person knows who's involved in the experiment in the in the producing of the experiment, if they know that that the experiment the experimental drug has Hazardous side effects, they are supposed to stop immediately. So this is, this is it never was about your health. It never was about um, keeping people safe. It, it's all about power and control. This little team we have on campus, the COVID-19 team, there's not one of them that is a board-certified, licensed medical physician. And they are reveling in the amount of power they think they have over people on campus. And places like Marshall are just going to be sued into oblivion. When the lawyers finally figure out that these foundations have hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank, there's not going to be anything left. See, that's just it. Which, I, you should, know. which, which, which should make us happy, right, Sean? Because the communist education system will finally collapse. I was just gonna say
0: I, I don't I don't think Marshall's gonna exist. I don't think Miami's gonna exist. I don't think these places are going to exist. I mean, you you're, you're gonna have you're gonna have three groups of people, potentially more. You're gonna have those that are awake like us. You're gonna have those that are damaged or dead. and then you're gonna have those that are still alive, clinging to life and figuring out what's just happened to their to their damaged or dead. Family members who were a part of these institutions. So I don't, right. I, I don't know who in that, who in those groups could possibly continue to attend. You know, from, from a, it just, it's just math. It just doesn't seem like anybody would be left to attend. Um, That's true. L- let, let me ask you this too, because I, I wanted to, I wanted to just mention and then lead into again. Some of the other things that might be going on at Marshall that you can provide insight on, but here's what's going on around here. The, the local public school system within the last week, the entire eighth grade closed down. They just stopped wow. they stopped going because there are too, there are too many sick kids and too many sick teachers. And and according to a, a, a wonderful lady who who, is, who works on the inside and we communicate on a regular basis, she says it. She goes, I mean, she didn't say at least a hundred percent, but I mean, she said it's practically a hundred percent of the staff and non-teaching staff have all been jabbed. So, I mean, this is a, this is a is a public school system with one high school, one middle school, and uh, three elementary schools. And they're masking everybody. Everybody's masked. hundred percent. Again, of the staff are jabbed, and now they've closed down the entire eighth grade. But they still decided to have the eighth grade football game, which yeah. which pissed off a lot of parents. You know, pissed off a lot of parents, as you might expect. Um, yeah. The contact tracing is what the administrators are having to do the majority of the time, while they're not doing discipline which I've brought this up in particular in the last podcast episode, was if they haven't laid out their discipline policies clearly and they're disciplining students, for example, the mask slips below the nose so you have to go to detention, and that's happening, then they're breaking their own policies and their own contracts and the law legally by, by enforcing things that are not written down that people are not signing off on, in particular, parents, students, teachers, etc. They're just they're just winging discipline uh, and throwing countless students into these into these areas. But the contact tracing is again what the vast majority of the administrators are having to deal with. And then you go outside of the school system into the town. The town, in, in particular, Miami University, is now contra- contact tracing. Countless individuals, not just students, but people that students have talked to, and they're hiring students to do this, contact tracing. And Miami is getting probably the exact same amount that Marshall is, if not more. It, it could be upwards of $42 million, if I'm not mistaken. But they're, they're paying students to then be Gestapo with their peers and then with anybody else that they, of course, have contacted. If... Somebody knocks on the door and they say, um, you know, wearing masks and they say, hi, we're from Miami University and we know that somewhere along the line, you were in contact with someone who was in contact with someone who tested positive for COVID and they attend Miami University. So we need to ask you some questions. It's, It's just nuts because you know that that's actually happening. I mean, that has to be happening. So my question is, of course, the answer would be shut the door and then tell them to go to hell or, you know, just shut the door and don't talk to them. But my, my, my question is, at Marshall University, are you aware of the contact tracing that's probably taking place? And if so, I mean, what are even students discussing and talking about that? Because it sounds like a full-time job. And it sounds like a training program, clearly, for fascism, if not just full-blown Bolshevism.
1: We do have uh, students and faculty are supposed to participate in the contact tracing. Now, of course, I have declined to participate completely.
0: They want you to participate um, in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, that, was, that was part of their, their uh, rules, Oh my God! That that the COVID team put out, and and again, I've declined to participate. Um, I've been randomly selected six weeks in a row to go get tested. I've declined to participate. Now, what I'm doing is I'm just filing these email away because my thought is there's no teeth behind this. They're they they're being they're being bullies, and nobody's calling on them. It calling them on it, but I'm. I want to see if there's teeth behind this, because I don't think there is. And um, I haven't heard the students talk about contact tracing, but I know that um, they had to participate, that they had to sign a form pledging that they would participate in contact tracing. So I'm sure it's going on. I yeah. haven't heard anyone talking about it. But you know, now that you've brought it up, maybe some student will come to Mansi and say, Hey, you know this was going on. Yeah? Well, I told you at the beginning of class that this form they had you sign was illegal. I told you this. They that, that's that's a violation of your 4th Amendment right to be secure in your persons and effects. That's that's the that's the quintessential definition of surveillance, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So um I I guess we have to wait and see how this rolls out. But I suspect that if somebody from administration comes to me and says, hey, we've noticed that you're not participating, I will say, I have declined to participate. And I'm pretty sure they don't have any teeth to back this up. I'm also pretty sure I know a damn good lawyer who would love to make, you know, 10 or 12 million dollars. Because that's you know that's
0: the very least I'd go after him for and that's something I brought up in the last episode too is is a lot of this hinges on being able to find an awake lawyer because again if you're if you're coming in contact with a lawyer who's saying, you know what they have they have the right it's a pandemic here's my mask I wear it I've been jabbed I mean clearly that's not a lawyer that you're gonna want to represent you but that's- Finding That's true. Yeah, and finding those good lawyers, I think, is going to get harder and harder. And the same thing is true with a judge who would actually want to um, take up a particular case, in particular if it's criminal.
1: I don't know. I think I think money talks, and I think when the lawy- lawyering profession figures out how many millions of dollars are are up for grabs, I think you might find a lot more lawyers who are willing to play.
0: I sure hope so.
1: That's just my that's just my thought. I know there's a guy out of Ohio. I think his name is Tom Rents. Yep. I mean, he's up to his eyeballs in lawsuits, going after employers and um, agencies and and so forth. But not because he wants the money, but because he wants to stop this all of this nonsense. He doesn't care about the money, or so he says. I'm sure it's good money, you know, but. Um, so there's at least one, and if there's one, I'll bet you there's more. Now it's a little bit like the direct primary care. It, it kind of started off very soft and quiet, blew under the radar for I don't know, probably a decade. And and now you, you can't you can't throw a stone without hitting a, a direct primary care physician somewhere between you and me. You know, we're only a, what 180 miles apart, so. This is, it's not going to take that long. I mean, look, we started these vaccines when? In December? We're less than a year from the original start of the vaccines. And it doesn't take people, especially lawyers, too long to sniff out big pots of money. They might red pill themselves just with, you know, all of the all of the digging and research. And then they're really going to, then they're really going to, they're going to smell blood in the water and then they're really going to swarm. So I don't think it's going to take too much longer, um, put too much longer in quotes. But at some point, this is going to turn into a feeding frenzy because lawyers, you know, they've got to support themselves too. And the only way they can do it is to have clients who are either able and willing to pay or a pot of money that they can dig into at the end of the rainbow, at least
0: uh That's that's how it appears to me. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.